the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at Nissan.ie. You're very welcome back to the hard shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you until seven o'clock, and I'm delighted to say that Blind Boy Boat Club is my guest this week for the Thursday interview. Blind Boy, how are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. How are you, Karen? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad at all. Christmas around the corner. We try to keep a positive spin on things as much as possible in the current climate. Um, listen, I, I want to ask, this might kind of seem a strange beginning, but uh, like I obviously introduced you as Blind, Blind Boy Boat Club, uh, which is how yeah. you're always introduced and uh, never a reference to your name, which we're not going to do now. But why is that important to you, that, that anonymity? So... Like, I wear a plastic bag on my head and I go by the pen name Blind by Boat Club. And I suppose the reason I do it, there, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons. Like, I've been doing it for nearly 20 years because I started off with, uh, a lot of people remember me from the Rubber Bandits. We used to do songs and videos like Horse Outside around 2010. And I kind of, Ireland's a very small place and I love creating art I love making music I love writing I love being an artist but I don't necessarily like the notoriety or the fame that would go alongside doing that and wearing a bag on my head it allows me to live a normal life like I can go to the shop I can I can live my life like a normal person and then I don't have to worry if people recognize me or things like that you know what I mean it also kind of it helps keep my mental health in check because when, so I know what it likes, I know what it feels like to walk into a room with my plastic bag on and for everyone in that room to know who I am because they know who Blind Boy is. But I also know what it feels like to walk back into that same room without my plastic bag on. And the two experiences are very, very different. And when you have some degree of notoriety and people know who you are, when you meet a stranger, you kind of don't have to put in the work of conversation because the person already knows who you are. Mm. But when I walk back into that room with no bag and I'm just nobody, when I meet a new person, I have to now speak like with, I have to use empathy. I have to use all the cues that you use when you meet a new person, listening, uh, empathy, trying to meet that person on, on their level, see how they're feeling. And essentially when you meet a new person, you're, trying to let them know I'm a nice person. I'm you're safe around me. That's what you do when you meet a stranger. Once you have fame, that goes out the window and people already know who you are and people can look at you differently. They're, they, they look at you like you're a, a fluffy puppy. <laughs> and when that happens all the time, and I know this from speaking to people who are in the public eye, when that happens all the time, that can be quite threatening to your mental health and self-esteem and, and your sense of self. And I don't think I, I'd have the, emotional tools to be able to deal with that so having a pen name and and a plastic bag in my head it just allows me to have this lovely normal boring life and then when I want to work when I want to do my podcast or go on tv then I put the bag on and I keep those two things separate I'm really really glad I made that choice but at the same time I suppose you're not you know, Banksy, like people, people around home, if I put it that way, will know who you are. If people were desperate to find out, they'd find out who you are. So th- th- there is some notoriety, is there? There is some notoriety, but the thing is, p- people, people only engage with the spectacle. Mm. It's like if you watch TV and you see the voice actor who does the voice for like Homer Simpson, 
or for Lisa Simpson. <laughs> you can see them doing that voice, but it doesn't feel the same. So people only engage with the spectacle. So it, it, it doesn't matter. I, I just get this lovely, normal, quiet life. And anytime I speak to like someone like Tommy Tiernan or, or, or even Brezzy, like a lot of people who are in the public eye, they really envy the fact that I'm able to create this that space as such that I'm able to put up those boundaries. And I wonder as well, does it create a boundary in the minds of people who do know who you are in the, in the real world, if we'll call it that? And when they see you without the bag, there's kind of a demarcation in their mind. You know what I mean? They think, well, that's just, you know, John. Yeah, <laughs> you know what work. I mean? He's, he's not being work. blind boy. So like, let's, let's just leave him alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm sure there's plenty of people in Nimerick who know who I am to just leave me alone. <laughs> well, tell me then, listen, uh, uh, people do know, I suppose, the, the output. And I know of the rubber bandits and a, a lot since then, a huge amount since mm-hmm. then. But, I mean, what about before all of that? I mean, was this, the um, the ambition was hardly from a young age to, to kind of to create this public persona that wears a plastic bag. What was the ambition? Well, I, I've always been very sensitive to art and creativity, music, writing, all these things. And... I mean, I always wanted to be an artist, but I never thought I could actually do it professionally. I always thought it would be a hobby. You know what I mean? So I pursued, like I went to, I didn't do very well in school. I failed my leaving cert. School, school was, was a very, I didn't fit in So in what school. does that mean I failed? My, does that mean you failed all your exams or you just? Well, I would have done quite poorly me. across a lot of them. Okay. I got, I would have gotten an A in art. I would have done well in English. But the way the system was set up in my school, certain subjects were considered messing subjects. So you couldn't do art and music at the same time and things like that. So Mm. it wasn't set up for a person who's creative, someone who gets their meaning from creativity. So I was kind of put into a situation where I had to be academic and I'm very poor at maths. So I would have gotten quite low points in my leaving cert. And crucially, I failed maths. And when you fail maths, you kind of fail the leaving cert. It's very difficult to get into college if you fail maths. So luckily, I did a PLC and I found myself into art college. And then I found like, wow, now I'm in an area where I can excel. This art college was like, I'm doing what I love and I'm being rewarded for being who I am. But I, I went to art college and then after art college, I trained as a psychotherapist. I became very interested in, in psychology and therapy and I wanted to help people. But I never, I never finished that. I never completed it because horse outside happened in 2010 and then that got really popular so I was like wow okay I can have a go at this as as a career but I didn't think I'd be doing it still didn't think I'd still be doing it more than 10 years later doing something different when horse outside came out I was doing uh, a master's in DCU and a a lecturer and I won't say who it was he's a professor there walked into the room and he played horse outside to the class up on the screen with the video and he didn't say anything and then he played Maria Callas singing O Mio Bambino Caro and then he admonished us as a generation for for essentially creating the rubber bandits that you, you that that you were our creation essentially a reflection of our vacuous being and uh, <laughs> Well, see, that's it was, it was, utter, it was utterly crazy, uh, I have to say, the whole experience. It was kind of funny. Even at the time, it was funny. But, I mean, the reason but I bring it up... that man there, he thinks he likes art, but he doesn't. What he <laughs> yeah. likes is, is heritage art. So he has a conservative uh, 
a very conservative attitude that art must fit within certain delineations and definitions. And I'm not about that at all. The thing is, when something is actual art, it tends not to look like art. Like even right now, uh, a collective of artists up in, in Belfast called Array Collective, they just won the Turner Prize in the UK. And what they did is their art pieces, they made a shebeen. They made this shebeen with a bunch of artifacts in there about Irish history, about partition, about British occupation in the north, about repeal the eighth. And this won the Turner Prize. And they are now getting a lot of hassle from British critics who are refusing to take the work seriously because it's silly and foolish and doesn't look like art, you know. But if someone if something doesn't look like art right now, chances are it probably is. Yeah, they're the same critics who probably ridiculed Tracy Anima or, or, or Damien Hirst. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, if, if, if people are saying what you're doing isn't art because it's not like what they consider to be art from before, mm. they're probably doing a good job. So, I mean, that attitude, though, that that, that professor had, um, I, I'm like that must be an attitude that you would have run up against an awful lot back then. I wonder, do you still run up against it? This idea oh, that what you, you, you're doing is kind of nonsense. That's essentially what he was saying. Yeah, that first um, thing is nonsense, Maria Callas's culture. So the thing is, is that, yes, all the time. And the reason is, so I wear a plastic bag on my head and I've got a weekly podcast and I speak about really serious things sometimes on my podcast. I speak about mental health issues. Sometimes I speak about issues around suicide. And often people say, how can you do that with a bag in your head? Is that not disrespectful? And I say, no, silliness and fun are essential parts of the human condition. If you're to speak about something as serious as mental health, it's actually quite respectful to introduce humor into that process because humor is such a a human thing. And when people say to me, I can't take you seriously because you have a bag on your head. They don't want me to behave seriously. What they're actually looking for is for me to engage in the performance of solemnity and solemnity is an outward performed type of seriousness. It's what politicians do. Uh, It's what religious orders do. It's what the military does. It's a performed type of seriousness. And often in society, when that's done, it's used to actually lie to us. Like we will happily sit back and allow politicians to flat out lie if they do it in the right suit with the right presentation. And that there is the performance of solemnity. Mm. And and what it does, it often hides absurdity as well. It, It hides absurdity within things like the military or within a religion. If you do something, perform it seriously enough, it no longer looks absurd. So when you step into a space with a plastic bag in your head and you engage in silliness, what that does is it it upsets the dynamic of solemnity and makes people feel very uncomfortable. And I'm aware of that. And that's also like an ongoing piece of performance art that I do in the very existence of Blind Boy. Sorry, I laugh when you were talking about if you do something serious enough, people will will take you seriously. I worked in Maxall Mace in the Glasheen Road in Cork when I was in college. And and I'll never forget the advice one of the lads gave me the first night I was there. He says, if you don't know the price of something, right, and we're both at different tills, just shout down, Kieran, how much are the multi-pack of Kit Kats? And he says, just give an answer and give it confidently. And it doesn't matter how accurate the answer is, the person will pay it. They're one ninety nine. Great, they're one ninety nine. The person will pay it. (laughs) And we demand that. We what what I always compare it to is professional wrestling within professional wrestling, like WWE or whatever. People go to these these wrestling events and they know it's fake. 
They know that the outcome is already decided. They know that they're effectively at a piece of theater, but they suspend that disbelief for the emotional engagement and fun of it. And often we as a society do that with politics, with all these things. We know that that person isn't telling the truth or that's actually morally wrong what's happening over there in that piece of politics. But if it's presented in a serious enough fashion in the right suit with the right haircut, then we kind of just go along with the lies. Like I was wondering for a while there over the period of COVID, do you remember all the politicians had really silly hair because no one was allowed to go to the, <laughs> yes. go to the hairdresser? And they were all terrified to, to cut it because in case people accused them. In of case it being... looked like they were, they were breaking protocol <laughs> yeah. or, or breaking the rules. But then I was thinking, oh man, if this goes on long enough, our politicians are going to have some pretty silly haircuts soon enough. And I wonder, will the silliness of their haircut now break down the expected performance of seriousness that we need from them? If you're just tuning into the Hard Shoulder, Blind Boy Boat Club is my guest for the, the Thursday interview this week. Does the, the mask then and the anonymity, does it, as well as, uh, I suppose, lacing the message with a little bit of silliness, does does it allow people to engage with just the message as opposed to the messenger? Most you know, definitely. Like, because we all, we, we all bring our biases. I'm thinking of like, you know, the, the writer who writes under a pen name. As soon as you find out who they are, suddenly like all your kind of, yeah, yeah all your biases kind of come out. So sometimes as well, when we like if we see celebrities or we see someone talking on TV, you can have a powerful emotion towards that person. You can really dislike them simply because their face or their body language or their mannerisms can remind you of someone in your own life that you dislike. Like that's a common thing with the plastic bag. You can project whoever you want onto it. It's a living, breathing cartoon character. And the other thing, too, with my plastic bag. I like like I mentioned before, like I will do one mental health podcast a month and I speak quite candidly about mental health issues. And I'll also speak about my own mental health journey and I will do it as honestly as possible. The bag allows me to do that, because the thing is, when you have that type of conversation, if I then walk into Dunn stores or Aldi and someone recognizes me and I that morning was speaking about anxiety or speaking about anger. Then if that person comes up to me and something I said had an impact on them and they need to share and they need to share something that's quite vulnerable, vulnerable for them, I'd need to be emotionally present to give that person the time. But if that happens a lot, then I don't think I could be emotionally present. And I know people in the public eye who speak about mental health issues and this is something they face. They might go to the pub and on a Friday someone sees them and decides to open up about some a deep pain within them because something they said have impacted them. And when someone does that, when someone comes to you and says, I have depression, I have anxiety, when someone opens up, you need to be emotionally present for that person. So by me having this bag, it means that that's not part of my daily life. So that then allows me to speak more and more and more without the threat of my emotional resilience and emotional well-being being taxed, if you get me. Do, do you still work with your other rubber bandit partner, Mr. Chrome? The rubber bandit is kind of... <coughs> Like I'm in my 30s now. So that's more kind of thing I was doing in my 20s. So since 2017, I just I started writing books. I start I've, I've two collections of short stories. I adore writing. And then I have my weekly podcast and I started doing documentaries with the BBC. So that's kind of where I'm at now. It's it's more reflective of where I'm at in my 30s mm. than where I'm at in my 20s. And my 20s was the silliness and fun and the explosive youthful energy of the rubber bandits. 
But that's not where I'm at right now, you know. So where are you at next? What's on the plan? Do you know, so I'm st- I'm still doing my podcast. I have my weekly podcast and I love doing it. I adore it. But I'm always looking at the future space. And I reckon self-driving cars, right? I think se- what self-driving cars that are electric, which will become widely available in the next 10 years, mm-hmm. I think something about the space that's created within that car will be the new entertainment space. So that's what I'm looking towards. So the idea that when I get in the car to drive up from Kilkenny, that it will drive itself. So I will have 90 minutes yeah. of time in which I can do anything. Yeah. Well, so the thing is, if, if you look reason. at the the apps at the moment, like uh, Spotify, like Spotify are investing huge money into podcasts and you're wondering, why is this happening? And certain apps want to have dominance in the future within the space of the self-driving electric car. Because if you think of, you know, the reason podcasts are huge right now is because when the iPhone came out 10 years ago, that completely changed how we consume media. Mm. All of a sudden, you listen to something privately on your phone and you have this new media to engage in, as opposed to before that, where if you listen to radio, it's more of an empathic experience. You might listen to it in the office and a lot of people listen or in the car, but podcast is private. So the iPhone changed how we consume media. So I reckon the next thing will be self-driving cars and the new space that's opened up within that for apps. So I'm trying to see where's that going to be. Is that not just like people will watch Netflix in their car? We don't know. Maybe they will. I mean, if you if you tried to predict, kind of depresses me a little bit, the idea of a little three bit, hours yeah, but of Netflix like, in my life every day. But anyway, <laughs> if you saw an iPhone in 2010 and tried to predict TikTok, it would have seemed absurd. Or if you like I use a website called Twitch where I live stream on Twitch and I, I play video games for an audience and write songs within the video game. In 2010, the concept and idea of that would have been so absurd. Mm. But this is just where things go. This is where th- like even podcasts, some podcasts are three hours long. And 10 years ago, if you said to someone, sit down and listen to something for something that's three hours long, most people would say, no way. You need to edit it to be a half I, an hour. I still say no way. So I, you're, you're, you're kind of scratching out a little bit of a sore point on me that I drive a big bugbear with long podcasts. Anyway. That's a personal You don't view. like long podcasts, I just, I sometimes just, they I don't just, need to be. Yeah, I, I just find them a little to self-indul- too often self-indulgent. I think there's kind of exceptions that prove the rule, but too often self-indulgent. Yeah. Um, there can be some of them that are just way too long, but when a long podcast is done correctly, I adore that. I love the space of that. I love the, the time to breathe. It's a meditative experience. Well, listen, I'm fascinated, given that I do commute, as to where I might engage with uh, your art in the next few years if I do get a self-driving car. (laughs) Nissan are listening. (laughs) Blind Boy, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Karen. Blind Boy Boat Club, you can listen back to that interview. We'll get it up on the News Talk app in the next uh, few minutes if you want to share it with anyone. And of course, Blind Boy has his own podcast. He mentioned it there, a weekly podcast, always a great listen, and the author of a number of books, which you can find as well, I'm sure, online and in your local bookstore. Uh, Blind Boy, like I said, a pleasure, and we will talk to you again soon. 